0: Yes, yes, yes. Thus endeth the sermon. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Happy Almost Darwin Day. As I mentioned earlier, Darwin Day is officially celebrated tomorrow on the anniversary of Charles Darwin's birth on February twelfth, eighteen 1809 a birthday he shares with Abraham Lincoln, born not only on the same date, but on the very same day. And that makes this Religion and Science Weekend. (laughs) Formerly Evolution Weekend, because it is the weekend closest to Darwin's birthday. So the annual commemoration of Religion and Science Weekend was started by a man named Michael Zimmerman, founder and executive director of the Clergy Letter Project. He sought to engage clergy and religious leaders from many different traditions in explicitly sharing thoughts and reflections with their congregations on the compatibility of religion and science, especially in a culture that seemed determined to pit one against the other, most pointedly, when it came to the teaching of evolution. Each year, participants like me on behalf of you, I'm letting you know this now, <laughs> are asked to help select a theme and this year it is religion, science, and the common good. So get comfortable. <laughs> no, I promise not to go on and on because we have activities after the service that are going to be fun. But it is rather a big topic, right? Religion, science, and the common good. And it strikes me that in a rush to talk about the compatibility of religion and science, we may run the risk of falling down heavily on one side or the other, even while we are saying there really are no sides. Because historically, culturally, traditionally, in this country, at least, there are. There are and have been sides. Now, one of the great historical examples of this is what is called the Scopes Monkey Trial of 1925, made popular in the many movie adaptations of the play Inherit the Wind. How many of you have seen Inherit the Wind? Okay. Um, It's a play by Jerome Lawrence and Robert E. Lee in which a teacher is put on trial for teaching evolution. And though the authors note that this is not meant to be an historical account, and while there are numerous instances where events were substantially altered or invented, um, and as opposed to the historical records. Still, while watching that movie, it is hard not to embrace this story as a classic example of the battle between the fears of a stubbornly childlike religion and the fearless explorations of science. It is hard not to thrill to the words of Henry Drummond, the Clarence Darrow character proclaiming, In a child's power to master the multiplication table, there is more sanctity than in all your shouted amens, holy holies, and hosannas. An idea is a greater monument than a cathedral, and the advance of man's knowledge is more of a miracle than any sticks turned to snakes or the parting of waters. Darwin moved us forward to a hilltop where we could look back and see the way from which we came. But for this view, this insight, this knowledge, we must abandon our faith in the pleasant poetry of Genesis. It's a rousing call to enlightenment, right? And to... I admit that there is something attractive, comforting, even grounding in that movie when I hear the people of the town singing, Give me that old-time religion, give me that old-time religion, give me that old-time religion, it's good enough for me. And what I am beginning to see more and more clearly is that either side of that debate, either of those viewpoints or any of the many and varied perspectives that branch off from them, either of these can lead one to work toward the common good or to work against the common good to work toward justice and equity or to work against justice and equity. Either side or any of the many sides of this debate between science and religion can lead one to a deeper compassion toward all or can be used to justify a lack of compassion. What is left out of the story told in the play and in some of the popular retellings of the Scopes trials is that one of the reasons that William Jennings Bryan opposed Darwin's theory of evolution by natural selection is because these ideas had been used to defend a particularly cruel type of capitalism on the grounds that a perfectly free market promotes the Say it with me, survival of the fittest, right? Brian denounced this social Darwinism as the merciless law by which the strong crowd out and kill off the weak. Which is to say that beliefs, all beliefs, have ramifications. It is to say that we each choose how to interpret and live out our beliefs. And this reality can be lost if we simply keep battling over who is right. Richard Dawkins says, regarding the debate on evolution, one side or the other has got to be wrong, and not just slightly wrong, but catastrophically, ignominiously, disastrously wrong. C.S. Lewis says, regarding those many here, I would bet, who look to Jesus as simply a great moral teacher. He writes, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. Lines in the sand. Each writer is clear in their own beliefs. Both are clear in the challenge they pose. It's this or that. Either or. Choose one, but choose correctly. Excuse me. Allergies, I believe, but. Sorry. Those are just two examples of science and religion squaring off, laying down their perceptions of what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is false, what should be believed and what should be rejected. And I get it. Each of these individuals has a perfect right to state what they believe and why. But when it comes toward working toward the common good, When it comes to working toward justice and equity, I am less concerned about what you believe or the distance between what you and I believe than I am with what your beliefs will call you to do. How they shape your behavior and your response to others and to all of life. Do they inspire gratitude, compassion, solidarity with the oppressed and vulnerable or do they inspire hatred, haughtiness, cynicism, and superiority. The particulars of your beliefs or of my beliefs are interesting, fascinating, intriguing. How we interpret them and how they influence our actions in the world, that is of vital importance. We all maybe know that slavery, the slaughter of native peoples, and ongoing discrimination have all been justified at different periods of history with the words of scriptures. But science is not immune from such travesties. In a book entitled Elite, Uncovering Classism in Unitarian Universalist History, We may now all shift uncomfortably in our seats. (laughs) Mark Harris writes, Unitarian Universalists today who uphold the inherent worth and dignity of every person as their first principle would be shocked to read the title of a book published in 1902 by the American Unitarian Association. This is the title, The Blood of the Nation. A Study of the Decay of Races Through the Survival of the Unfit. The author was David Starr Jordan, star like in Thomas Starr King, president of Stanford and the most renowned ichthyologist in America. During the early 20th century, Jordan became the most sought-after speaker at Unitarian events. Between 1902 and 1916, he published 19 books with the denominational imprint, Beacon Press. He was a pacifist, and his pacifism was based on a belief that, that of, 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 of a biological evil, that war is a biological evil because it kills off the physically and mentally fit and leaves behind the less fit. These are his words. In the red field of human history, the natural process of selection is often reversed, he wrote. Indiscriminate charity has been a fruitful cause of the survival of the unfit. To kill the strong and feed the weak is to provide for a progeny of weakness. I just want to let that sink in for a bit. This was a scientific, enlightened, Darwinian, Unitarian mind, a sought-after speaker, published numerous times by our own press, lauded for his pacifism, however cruel the basis for that anti-war stance. That is, at least, in part, the danger that William Jennings Bryan and possibly some other opponents of the teaching of evolution were fighting against. And I know I can say, I I want to say, well, that was a distortion of science and of Darwin's theories. That was a distortion of Unitarianism, certainly. But isn't that what everyone says? When faced with reprehensible ramifications of the tenets of their particular faith, that isn't real Christianity. That isn't real communism. That isn't real Islamic or Jewish or Buddhist or humanist teaching. Do I calmly accept that explanation when I hear it from people who believe differently than I do? I do believe for myself that science and religion can be compatible. I do believe that the theory of evolution and natural selection describes how life came to be. I do believe in a religion that holds as one of its sources humanist teachings which counsel us to heed the guidance of reason and the results of science and warn us against idolatries of the mind and spirit. And I also believe that none of us, no matter our beliefs, are immune to these idolatries of the mind and spirit. I believe that all of us have the potential to use beliefs to justify behavior that falls far short of our highest aspirations. That we need to be ever vigilant in how our interpretations of what is influence how we work toward what can be, what should be. And when my beliefs or my scripture or my God or my scientific treaties or my logic or my opinions conflict with compassionate action, I must be willing to let go of what I believe, what I think, so that I may more fully become the person I want to be. William Ellery Channing, understanding that Christian scripture could be used to justify abhorrent behavior, said in his 1819 sermon, Unitarian Christianity, we therefore distrust every interpretation, which after deliberate attention seems repugnant to any established truth. In other words, if it leads away from love, we reject it. Contemporary Episcopal priest and author Barbara Brown Taylor, I love this. She writes, the only clear line I draw these days is this. When my religion tries to come between me and my neighbor, I will choose my neighbor. Jesus never commanded me to love my religion. Whoa, yes. Many biologists and scientists have worked to explore the power of mutual aid and collaborative adaptation in natural selection. That is all true, illuminating how fitness means much more than individual strength. And this is only to say that the many different beliefs we hold here in this congregation and the vast variety of beliefs in the wider world, these are interesting, fascinating, glorious even but when it comes to working for the common good toward justice and equity, what really matters is how my beliefs take shape. What are we to do? E.O. Wilson, in his imaginary conversation with the Southern Baptist preacher, answers, forget the differences. I might say, hold them lightly. (laughs) We can work together across many differences, because I do believe this to be true, I am a part of you, you are a part of me, we are connected all the way down.